Good news, Mr. Smith. A big shaft here would tap into a significant vein of salt. Hear that? I'm gonna have a big, veiny shaft. <laughs> Let me put you folks at ease. Mr. Smith here will sign his mineral rights over to us, and we'll give him a big check. Then we'll tear up your yard, take all the salt out, and fill in the hole when we're done. If there's time. Which there won't be. One and all, welcome back to the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. I'm your host, comic Nick Munez. Today we've got our November-themed edition, Mark Kurlansky, making his debut on the program with his book, Salt. Here in America, during November, we dedicate the month to consuming. Whether it is eating past your last belt loop on Thanksgiving, or Black Friday trampling a grandma for a hot deal on television, we are all about acquiring rather than inquiring within ourselves. What a deep joke off the bat. We're talking about salt for an hour. Did you know that it was the world's most valuable resource for many times in human history? It was the default currency. Most of the wars in human history were not fought over women, gold, water, political ideology, not even uranium. Up until 100 years ago, the most sought after commodity was salt. Why do seals live in salt water? It's because pepper makes them sneeze. What do you call it when salt says hello to pepper? Season's greetings. We're talking all about empires throughout history and how they controlled the salt veins, the salt trade. Our empire, America, how do we celebrate salt? Well, on the 4th of July, we all get together and deep throat hot dogs. That is high culture in this empire. There was this old myth in the Aztec Empire. They thought that semen was just salt, so they would give women salt deposits to, you know, stick up their coochie. Nine months later, <laughs> someone was being promiscuous. Out came a baby. Legit Kurlansky. He's this author that just goes deep on one topic. This has to be his best book. He's dropping stories about Mahama Gandhi leading thousands of Indians. They were marched 250 miles to the sea to protest a salt tax. And you might not know because the tea tax was so big during the American Revolution, we were getting real salty. I'm going to assault you with the facts today. People thought salt kept demons away. That's why you got to throw some over your shoulder after dinner. The myths are alive in a well. Big Pharma has convinced you to take statins for hypertension. Did you know for two million years the human body has had a built-in function for excessive salt? It's called breaking a sweat. Yeah, maybe not as convenient a little Monday through Sunday pill container, but you could do this for free every single morning. <laughs> the human body annually could process 15 pounds of salt. So yes, your high blood pressure is totally because of salt, not because you work 80 hours a week and are stressed out of your mind. Mark Kurlinski, he's going to give us the historical point of view. You're getting Nick's nutritional notes here as well. Adam Smith, we're getting political on you. In Wealth of Nations, 1776, he said, we are taxing necessities of life. So you know, I'm drawing this out to the carbon tax. We're about to have a water impost. Nebraska has proposed a meat levy. Never touch another man's meat. We're going deep on salt today. I'm salty already. Throwing it over to a word from our sponsors. <laughs>
and welcome back. Make sure you guys are checking out that Patreon. We got 13 plus mile hikes on there. I'm lugging out tripods. You know I'm taking little salt tablets with me. And the memes over on Harry Schwant, always getting sillier. Kurlansky, born 1948. He's 72. He's from Connecticut. As a teenager, he called Emil Zola his hero. And in 2009, he translated one of Zola's novels, The Belly of Paris, whose theme is a food market in Paris could have lived without knowing that he got his BA at Butler in 1970 he worked at the Miami Herald he worked at the Philly Inquirer he was a big journalist before he started writing these individual topic books first book he dropped was in 1992 a continent of islands 15 total books he's written by this point he also got his uh like super degree at uh Barak College Barukata we're doing kosher salt today writer of several best-selling fiction books as well. This guy's still on the map. You gotta read some more Kurlansky. We'll definitely have him back on the show. He has an entire book about cod. It's his biggest one, and this book took three chapters. So we boiled it down. We're talking Celtics, Vikings, Bastions. Do you even know who these people are? What a show we've got planned. That's coming up after another advertisement. consume people it is the holiday season throw a buck over on the patreon this cannot go on forever for free i'm vibing off an energy drink i'm sure you guys have seen this around this coca-cola is now putting it feels like meth in a can it says zero sugar on the top i don't believe it and it says four grams 40 milligrams of sodium the hell am i putting in my body it's working chapter one (laughs) a mandate of salt China is the oldest literary society. They got 4,000 years of written history. They made paper, compasses, gunpowder, everything we're crediting to them, including transferring eggs in salt. Lake Yachunga was a big hot spot 6,000 years ago. A bunch of Chinese tribes were trying to fight over this evaporating lake. Every season, it would evaporate and leave behind tiny hexagons that we later know as salt. The Z dynasty was 800 BC in China, and they were the first ever to start a sea salt extraction process. Ever been to a marsh, and it has that weird smell to it? During certain seasons, you go there, and it looks like it snowed. Just start scraping salt off. So they get their slaves to do that for them. They say the Chinese were the farming people, and the Mongolians were the nomadic people. And that's why they always bashed. They had to build giant walls. Used to be more names for salt, but Mao Zedong in the 1950s, when he genocided 40 million people, he changed the language to 40,000 characters. And you know the United States are English. Yeah, I speak American. We have 200,000 words in our language. That's almost five times bigger of a vocabulary. The Chinese people are like anime characters. Oh, let me see your social credit score. Rate up or down. I am agitated and aggravated some days bigger vocab makes more words for salt and you know they have like cantonese mandarin mao zedong was able to make it so there's one word everybody loves it china's also been on that soybean farming for a long ass time soy boys over there 
they ferment their vegetables. They're big into the vinegars. He was saying that they preserved eggs on long roots, the Silk Road. That soy thing is super interesting. China is currently the biggest soy exporter in the world. Starbucks is the biggest consumer of soy, making men grow boobs. Who needs salt in their coffee? Yellow River, the Yangtze River, were two Chinese rivers that go from east to west, and they put salt ships on it as early as 800 BC. More interesting, they started building out these dam systems and gigantic bamboo shoots. So there were like elevated canals. There was illustrations Kurlansky had in the book. It basically looked like Six Flags Amusement Park, and it was all just to transport salt throughout the countryside. What? Like, you don't need roads and gas and trucks. You're just using the power of water to ship things. Yeah, irrigation systems we've learned about in globalization. And now we're on the King's Highway. These Chinese people figured it out on the Yellow River. Did you hear recently China saying they have like five dams that are about to burst on the Yangtze River? And this is going to kill a few million people. That's just potatoes to them, small peas in terms of population. These are like old Bronze Age systems. We'll go back further. The whole point here is they were able to unify China by 200 BC. Like the Roman Empire couldn't even do that until 50 BC. China's been at it for a while. We just don't know their history. They keep rewriting it so nobody knows it's true. <laughs> Synchronicity. 1911, there was this thing called the Guanzi Law in China, and they created a fixed price for salt. And so if there's an American import, they can't have competition. China's communist. There was like a, an American dad episode where he found a salt vein in his <laughs> yard. And you can't sell salt without iodine. Like the FDA just made this rule out of nowhere. And iodine is like a million dollars per gram. So you just can't get in on the salt game now. There are these weird Guanzi laws that protect the monopoly. We'll circle back to this and more insult by the end of the show today. Let's move over to the Egyptians for the first chapter. The oldest Egyptian mummies are dated at 3,000 years old. What's the difference between a mummy and a zombie? Literally salt. The Egyptians would ferment berries and dogs, and they say they learned this from travelers who went to China. And that does make sense. The Chinese taught the Egyptians how to cook dogs because the Egyptians praised cats, so they wanted some mean canine recipes from the Chinese. <laughs> he also said that the Egyptians were eating fish, pigeon, and they created the real briny foods. And I don't believe this. We're talking about Egyptian in history. Native Americans for two million years have been creating beef jerky. Yeah, but the Egyptians created everything. <laughs> the Egyptians were fucking Mesopotamians that moved into the pyramids. Look at the carbon dating of the Sphinx. It's over 200,000 years old. But again, your history teacher said that it was 6,000 years old. They levitated the fucking pyramid up with Jewish slaves. <laughs> it's not like the Siberians hadn't been stockpiling food in the Arctic, like native Eskimos for thousands of years, but Kurlansky is saying that the Egyptians invented <laughs> storing food with salt. The Egyptians had the first bread. The idea here is when you add more salt into a bread recipe, the bread rises higher. So the Egyptian pharaohs were eating bread that you could jump off the pyramid and land onto, <laughs> super soft, and then the Jewish slaves had matzah. I told that story a while ago that I got the shits off of the Ritz. Very 
salty and a low density cracker. So this goes against the physics of the bread he's saying. Don't eat a full box of Ritz one sleeve at a time. Teach yourself moderation. <laughs> the Egyptians had this god that told them that they had to mummify babies. <laughs> and he taught them how to, like, you know, hook the brain through the nose. And then they would inject a briny serum into the brain cavity to make it last over time. Go to your local uh, museum. I guarantee you they have a mummy exhibit. Lick it. Take a piece of mummy jerky for the road. Egypt traded a lot of salt with the Phoenicians, and they would then travel through the Mediterranean. So then after, you know, Egypt fell, the Mediterranean became the big thing. It's going to be the next chapter. Much like China throughout the Mediterranean, they limited the language to Babylonian. That was like the language of trade. And so hal became the word for salt. You got halal. What does that mean? Salty meat. Timbuktu was a massive trading port. They put soap in their salt. So at every trading port around the world, you're going to find a salt stand. Egyptians were like spreading out across the Nile and they got down to Nigeria Lake Chad, which is one of the saltiest lakes on earth. Lake Chad, bro. You got to bring your dad's boat. Salt Life t-shirts only. Skin like leather. Voice like gargling semen. <laughs> Those freaking shore dwelling people have the hooked out briny brain already. <laughs> I would probably be racist to go into the history of Africa and how they cooked their chicken with salt, so we'll skip it. Go to chapter two, Celtic Diem. We're going over the Romans and a little bit of Celtics to start us off. 2000 BC, you couldn't go more than four mountain towns in Europe without one being called Salt Town. Like I just said, Hall was the Babylonian language for salt. In Bavaria, or ancient German, which is where English comes from, Hall was still salt there. You got Hallstatt, Switchback, Hall, Hallstein, beer halls. You're eating salty pretzels and beer. The Germans know it's up. Celts get confused for Vikings a lot. But Celts are not Scotland. They aren't the Irish. They are the closest thing to Native Americans that Europe had. They're just nomadic tribes that would carry around with sacks of salt Kurlansky was saying they roved down into France from like the highlands of Germany and of course they roved down from the highlands of the UK into mainland England so it's a similar story it's just people that are unincorporated so we're giving them an evil name maybe you could just call them the original gypsies they were big into alcohol <laughs> it's like the Irish people escaped from the Emerald Isle for a little bit this is the closest thing to the Wild West Europe probably ever had, too. Celts versus Cowboys. That would be a pretty good mascot. <laughs> probably be racist. Mark Kurlansky told a story about the Celts. They organized once on the outskirts of Paris. This is like ancient Paris. These groups of individuals got together over their love of the god of Mercury, who is the animal pig. And so they went into Paris, burned it to the ground, and stole all of the bacon bunch of bros just burned down the cuisine capital of the world for the bacon god that's pretty sweet they say the greek and the aztec would give the most deserving warrior the ass of the pig throughout history everyone was trying to bring home the bacon the celts were also known for inventing venison and they would hang it for two days layer salt on it these are drifters if they didn't ransack your town they might teach you a savory recipe you got to seize the day and the women. Celtic DM onto the Romans. 
the Roman Empire was the first on a large scale where you saw disenfranchised plebes and then privileged papal class. Again, this is the pre-approved history, but yeah, Rome, there's definitely upper class, lower class, and then elite. 506 BC was three years before they ended the kingdom and then declared Rome a republic. You don't even think about it that far back, but even 500 BC, they're saying, we're not kings anymore. What do you think? We're Dracodian? No, we are a republic now. It's just ran by the church instead. <laughs> 500 BC, this old Italian king sneaked in a buzzer beater. He implemented in all of their federal banks the Salinator. How dope is that title? It was one man in charge of the fluctuation of the flow of natural resources. <laughs> kind of sounds like a monarchy to me. One guy's controlling every single... It's like the guy at the Federal Reserve who can press the money print button. He's in control of the value of money. This guy controls where the salt goes. The Salinator. Oh, this is fucking mafioso Roman as hell. 500 BC. We've been talking about on the show about the Romans and how they built their massive road system so that their armies could then distribute all their bullcrap. And salt was something they got everybody hooked on. They were saying that the Germans, Bavarians, the people up in the hills were able to find their own way to like boil down blood to just leave behind salt. They found natural resources so that they didn't have to be reliant on the Roman Empire. The official empire, so they tried to say they were a republic and then they gave up after a while. We're too powerful as the papal class. Yeah, we are an empire. 30 BC, things are moving slower and they established their own salt works. Instead of inciting holy wars, they're going back to the farming method and then distributing Roman salt. They took credit for being the first to salt their greens to take away the bitterness, right? Because no one ever thought of <laughs> using salt and pepper. A lot of people don't know that salt blocks your tongue's bitter receptors, which makes other aspects of food more noticeable. It's not like salt has a flavor. It just has a blocking mechanism that makes you taste everything else more. That's pretty valuable. Think about it. So only the rich people could have salt. Only the rich people were allowed to have taste. <laughs> the peasants were stuck eating mud. Sounds familiar. We're supposed to be eating crickets now. I said Nebraska. I made memes about it. They're trying to push a meat passport program. You got plenty of land in Nebraska. I would suggest everybody has their own chicken farm. <laughs> the Romans... They had all these purges into the Burgundy forests. it was, and that's where they were stealing the schnitzels and ham from the Germans. Since they couldn't imperialize the Bavarians and make them part of the empire, they started calling them barbarians, like it was a slur program against the wooded German folk who wouldn't go to the plays on Sunday. That's pretty straight up to German culture. They're too analytical to be part of this Italian mafiosa. The Salinator is coming up to get a piece of mama's sauerkraut. Hell no, you fucking act like a Nazi and scare this kid back to his little peninsula. Emperor Cato was named after a recipe, and so was Marcus Porcius. <laughs> it was named after like a pig dish, where it's a vinegar-covered pig leg. What is it, friggin' Marcus Aurelius? I'm gonna take a Stoic's name in vain. Mortadella. Aurelius. <laughs> These guys were naming their sons after meat. <laughs> no way. In Spanish, salt is sal, and pepper is pimienta. 
every Italian you know is named Sal. <laughs> they just named their kid Salt. They love it so much. That's chef's kiss. My baby a Sal. The Roman meal everybody knows is a bunch of salty olives and a friggin' jug of wine. <laughs> the Mediterranean became the centerpiece of the world for uh, approved history. And they got really into tuna and salty fish. The trade routes spread out to the Black Sea, the Strait of Gibraltar. Everybody's fishing and making salt deposits on these rivers. This has Roman context. In 1914, the French were colonizing Vietnam, and they were disgusted by the southern Vietnamese would eat raw fish. So they decide to reinvent the Roman sardine because they couldn't stomach a nice pink salmon. Doesn't make sense to me. France prides themselves on being the gastronomy capital of the world <laughs> they could have started the sushi trend like 60 years before us americans just cashed out on it in the 70s instead they doubled down on roman sardines french people think they got class julius caesar requested his fish to be dyed purple <laughs> you know purple was supposed to be the royal color and all that what the hell julius caesar he's the special kid i need the purple and the red special ketchup Whoever's serving my plate, make sure my fish don't touch my peas. You know, one day I'm going to invent a 2,000-year-old salad. Yeah, okay, Julius, you're going to be remembered for addressing Julius Caesar. What the hell? You're not going to get this fact anywhere else. This guy wanted his food to be dyed purple. <laughs> they say that when the Romans took over the Phoenician trade routes, they were able to confiscate the recipe for the color purple. And everybody used to dye their ship masts purple and whatever kind of clothes. It was super rare to get purple. So for a hundred years, when the Romans confiscated the recipe, no one saw the color, according to Mark Kurlinski. Apparently wildflowers didn't exist. Roman Empire petered out by 400 AD. Every empire since learned to acquire the salt mine model and definitely seize the trade routes. Let's go to chapter 3, Venetians. This is after the fall of the Roman Empire. The Mediterranean is still the economic center of the world. Venice was one of the biggest ports, and there was an independent Venice for the rich. Venice is like the Long Island of Italy. You got the uber wealth out in the Hamptons, and Venice, they said, would have a moat between them and the poor side where all the servants lived and so there were certain periods of history like 500 to 1000 AD the moats would dry up and all the peasants would then storm the rich people's castles and shit <laughs> they would friggin steal all the salt he was saying and this could happen I mean I love um adobo allspice I'm showing my Puerto Rican side here but if I need a friggin' medical passport to get into the Goya aisle, and you'll need the super booster to get to the Goya aisle because their CEO was Trumpster or whatever. Goya beans and adobo salt, man. If I'm not allowed to go into the supermarket, I'm going to initiate Operation Free the Food. <laughs> it's going to be the 1960s or the 960s in Venezia. Either way, we're stealing the adobo, we're storming the moat, getting over. <laughs> the peasants need to be able to taste their food. I'm telling you, try this stuff, people. I've told this on the show before, but you have to get a Himalayan salt slab. 
I lived at a place with a grill for a while. You just throw it on the grill, it'll last a whole summer, and your juices start seeping into this slab. Your meats are going to be better than ever. Venice actually winded up basing their entire economy off of the salt trade. They were like the first uh, port in history to go whole hog on salt as the medium of currency. Marco Polo started his journey in Venice, and he said he bought a bunch of salt cakes, which were tiny discs, and they were, like, traded for tons of money. It's basically gold. This is an insane period of history. Fucking Italy got sober for a hundred years, and they had their own mini-enlightenment. It's called the Renaissance, friggin' Da Vinci. <laughs> I went to a Da Vinci exhibit. This motherfucker invented a car. It looked like a normal carriage. It had a roll cage and everything, but in the center, there was just this little cog you would curl, and then the wheels started. It was a fucking car. This is why the Romans invented the road system. Da Vinci lived in Venezia. He's the, <laughs> like, Frank Sinatra of the Long Island that is Venice. If Long Islanders could stop pounding Wendy's sea-salted french fries, they might have their own enlightenment. Long Island becomes a Wakanda. Emilio Romagna is this area between a couple rivers that go all the way out to China. The Italian side is supposed to be much better for, you know, transporting the salt because they have the volcanic soil. They also found this underground brine spring in Emilio called Salso Maggiore. Sol, Salso. <laughs> hey, it's Sol, Salso. I'm never going to get over that. In the 1300s, there was this story about the Pallavicios. They controlled the wells and then therefore all the lumber, because you can't cut anything down all day if you don't have water. Pallavicios had this backstabbing family bloodline for centuries, Romeo and Juliet, between the lumber and the well families. That's basically the history of the state of New Jersey, <laughs> where I'm from. People are self-aware in New Jersey. We know the Jersey Shore turned seaside into sleaze side the italian mobsters that took over governor christie this guy will shut down the beach for his own family within 50 years of these wops coming to america i shit you not they turned to newark patterson union camden all of these fell to corruption they call west virginia the rust belt new jersey should be called the salt belt <laughs> i'm telling you like these pillavicio families all this backwood shit it's um just governments trying to take control of natural resources no chris christie you cannot shut down the beach a natural resource for your family i'm getting pretty fed up out here in colorado that rocky mountain national park you can only go three times a year because of covid <laughs> these motherfuckers are trying to take over the natural resources in our states again Ugh, about to drive up to the Blackfoot Reservation, recruit a militia, and go take back our friggin' land. Me and the natives out in Rocky Mountain National Park fighting off the Palavichios. <laughs> they had another story about the Reggianos, which was a family that invented Parmesan. You know, Parmesan cheese. How the hell can this one type of cheese be left on a pizzeria table for a year without refrigeration? It's the saltiest kind of cheese. Parmesan is sus. I like a nice wet mozzarella. Italy is known for their cheese. I guess France would be offended that I just said that. Try this overnight experiment. Pour two glasses of milk and put two different amounts of salt 
in the two different glasses. And then in the morning, you're going to have cheese and whey. Like, the more you put in, the more it separates. You could be doing refrigerator alchemy and getting free protein. <laughs> I bet one listener is going to try this. They accidentally mix the perfect ratio and create Velveeta liquid gold alchemy. That's a pretty good... What the heck is this? You could be getting free whey if you just mix salt and milk. All of our Italian Jersey listeners are going to be hitting extra gains now. This renaissance in Italy, of course, they were going to be capitalizing on salt. In the Cardona Mountains of Italy, they found 3,500-year-old mines with chipped-away salt. So at the age of the Egyptians, there were actually Neanderthals in Italy mining salt cool chapter next is number four called basques and vikings while the basques were considered the first seafaring civilization we credit the vikings for being the first navy in the world if you don't know the basques were just like a french type of viking that came 500 years beforehand the basques were the first dudes to hunt whales they would go out and hunt sperm whales that's a badass part of human history. Men that would just go out on murky, shady waters and get breached on by whales. <laughs> I was watching this thing on the History Channel. There was this old whale that could kill its predators with sonar. So it would just swim up and go, until something exploded. <laughs> That's one hell of a superpower. They also say that whales have ankles. So you know how to shark, it moves its fin left to right? A whale is whooshing up and down. And you know a whale is a mammal, so they're saying it has that spring in its jump. A whale could eventually turn into a deer over millions of years of evolution. Why does a whale need ankles? <laughs> There's a bit in there somewhere. The Basques were like a super-duper religious people, and so they wouldn't eat fish on Fridays because it's considered meat. This is 700 AD, so 200 years after Constantine and his goons published the Bible. You know, for 0 to 300, Christianity was like word of mouth. Have you heard about this Jesus dude? He was a legend. From 300 to 700, it was like, have you seen this Constantine comic book about Jesus? How come there's so much rules in our moral fairy tales? And then from like 700 to 1600, the Dark Ages... People are just like, fuck the rules. <laughs> There's a plague out here. The king is stealing all my crops. I got to eat. I'm having fish on Friday. So the Basques cashed out. I'm saying they lived all the way up through the Middle Ages. And they were just selling whale meat on the black market. And they were poaching sperm whales. You're getting all kinds of tusks you could trade. Friggin' oils. And then sperm is just salt you could burn. <laughs> it's a super resource. No wonder the Aztecs were praising jizz. By 1100, the Vikings were up and running, and they were trapping loads of salted cod in Newfoundland. They were going all over the world. They say like a Viking ship in a couple weeks could travel 1,500 miles. <laughs> no horsepower, just men. Salted cod became the trading mechanism for all of the UK, the northern countries at that time cod becomes stiff as a plank and if it's exposed to air it'll spoil immediately so you got to get that outer layer of salt on it just like in venice at the trading port how salt became the currency now cod was a currency 
only if it had salt on it. 1500 was this gigantic cod boom that Curlancy couldn't stop talking about. The Portuguese opened Port Aviero thanks to cod alone. You know, a bunch of geographic locations wouldn't exist if it weren't for a little salty fish. They built this 17-mile wall to protect a marshland called Escublac. This canal was operational for 400 years. <laughs> Similar story in France, La Rochelle became one of the biggest ports on their west coast. And um, Bay Day they have in France is like an entire holiday. It only lasted from 1500 to 1700. It was to praise the fish because it kept them alive. Pretty amazing stuff. A salt holiday. Maybe not that amazing. We have a fucking holiday for shopping. Let's go to the Nordics. Those Vikings, they preserved herring in salt. Any type of fork-tailed, oily fish, a Viking will suck down in one slurp. <laughs> herring is like a deep water cold fish it's always found in the english channel and they have this mu mass migration to the lowland countries in the spring the vikings basically set up nets across the entire english channel and the dutch then became dependent on the french cod monopoly because the vikings were poaching all of it so around 1300 the Dutch moved up to the Baltics and like the Scandinavian countries and started their own trade routes to get herring back down to those lowland countries. And so that's why when you go to like the Netherlands or whatever all those fun Dutch countries are, they're eating weird, smelly fish and it's fun to make fun of them. Yes, it might be a smelly fish, but it is the smelly fish that got them independent from the French. I mean, that is culture right there. What does America do on our Independence Day? We slurp down hot dogs. That is our culture. <laughs> Access to salt in the Nordic countries started a bunch of black markets. You know, those red light districts were around for a much longer time with prostitutes, <laughs> you know, settling those salt crystals up their vagina. You could never siege California the way those lowland countries were by France because every Californian has a salt lamp. <laughs> As hippies could just start licking away in case China one day does try something crazy. Stroming herring becomes one of the traditional dishes of the Nordic inlet. 1360 was this giant war between the Danes and the Handiaks and there was fishing plots that many a men died over. Really interesting stories if you're into it. I suggest the book. And then there's his entire book, I'm not going to read it, on cod. And I believe it. If there is these salt economies, I can't help myself. The pun is right in front of me. There was an economy. Boom. <laughs> cod Academy. What about, um, no, just cod economy, Call of Duty economy. It's all based on loot boxes now. <laughs> I'm going to go to 7-Eleven and <laughs> put a Slurpee down on the counter and then pull a dried cod out of my pocket and be like, hey, we straight? <laughs> That's around $1, right? Cod economy. Let's go to chapter five. <laughs> the Habsburg pickle. I turned myself into a pickle, Habsburg. I'm Pickle Nick. 1378. There was a French king trying to make a nation out of 265 different kinds of cheese. What? 
Mark Karlatsky is trying to weave this double story, just like China in the beginning creating one word for assault. This one king was able to standardize the cheeses of France, and he was able to minimize the five feudal lords into one kingdom. And he did this by throttling how much salt they could put into their cheese. That's all cheese is. It's different ratios of salt and milk and whey. Whey is just like the third substrate in cheese. That's why I keep saying it. You don't just get magic protein powder out of cheese. He did it slowly. He just convinced these feudal lords to come under his system. You know, I think it was the Versailles was one of the kingdoms. The Bezos was another one of the kingdoms. The Netflix was another one of the... <laughs> How different is a monarchy than an oligarchy? This chapter is called the Habsburg Pickle. We're not talking about the French again. The French just got really big with Napoleon. Their army was getting as bold as the Romans were in 0 to 1,000. And they start hazing the friggin' Habsburg and all the Bavarians up in the hills again. Just leave the dang Germans alone. When you provoke them too much with the Treaty of Versailles, you got a couple world wars on your hands. There was this thing called the Albigesian Wars. In 1200, Louis IX was trying to crusade the Middle East because he needed salt imports. Everybody was getting scurvy. I'm saying, France tries to be the cooking country. It's such a dry land. You don't got the volcanoes. You don't have the hill country. <laughs> it's like the heat of Spain with the reign of England. France is catalyzing holy wars. 2,000 years past it is socially acceptable to be having a holy war. The French are like, no, we just need the salt. I will go all the way to Jerusalem to steal it. In 1411, the Rackefort Cave was found, and they were able to find this super runny salt. It was like a brine in a cave, and so they invented blue cheese out of it. Anchovies were invented in Colliery, another port of France, and they were credited with bringing the Black Plague into France. More about these Germanic tribes. Like, <laughs> I'm saying we call the history of Europe a bunch of Neanderthals, but even back into Attila the Hun, 2,000 years ago, Chinese history, there were people in the hills of Germany, and they were hiding shit in their salt mines from the Huns. In the Durenberg Mountains, there are these giant castles that have underground tunnels leading to each other. In between the two castles is a mountain that is a gigantic salt deposit. This is from 1500 BC before Roman arches and engineering. A bunch of German hillbillies <laughs> were carving out salt tunnels to transport crap. He also said in these Durenberg Mountains there were um, mountain wagons. You ever go to like a resort and see at a skiing place they have those slides that go down the mountain? The Germans in B.C. inside of mountains were tunneling salt slides. In case the Huns came, they would just push the deposit down the slide so that the Huns couldn't get it in time. What, dude? They were fighting off Celts. They were fighting off Huns. These Germans were like zombie apocalypse. <laughs> the Durenberg mine had 19 miles of tunneling. Like One of the theories throughout the mass floods is that mountains are the reason that the oceans get so salty. Like there is a higher salt content in waters around places like Hawaii that are just freshly running off of land. 
My point is that mountains are gigantic salt licks, and the Germans figured this out. They've been tunneling underneath Habsburg for two millennia and chipping away at the salt. <laughs> like, you got to go within to figure it out rather than the French going all the way to the Middle East to try to steal salt. <coughs> America oil in the Middle East. We could frack, I'm saying. There was a really cool story in the book, too, that China is figuring out a way now to frack for salt. <laughs> we could very go back to a holy war fighting over salt with China. As for the Germans, from 1700 to World War One, Poland became home to some of the most rich salt mines in the area. Hence the Blitzkrieg. Uh, the Prussians, the Austrians, and the Russians for a long time were pretty close just because they were trading salt you know, like a cabbage stew isn't that different from a Russian borscht. They are very hard cultures, Germans and Russian. The Russians had this old recipe where they would stamp on their cabbage all day to try to get the air out of it. And then they would, like, rub salt in rigorously. Your babushka has those hard hands because of it. They did their annual dance when they accumulated a year's supply of cabbage. The French had the fish festival, the Russians had the cabbage festival, and they did the Russian rocket while they danced because they got enough salty food to last them through the winter. Culture. Chapter 6, Leaving Liverpool. Liverpool is to this day known for Cheshire salt and is the second biggest port in England. They needed deep water ports or big ass rivers to transport salt because it's so heavy you need more than one Twain. Go to the Patreon and learn about depths of water if you want. And Mark Twain. The Royal Navy had a big advantage because they had these maps to where around the world had the deepest like rivers that you could transport goods through. That's wild to think that there is that deep of intel that a nation could pass down for 500 years. A salt work is also known as a witch. So you're traveling around England and every town is... Village witch, gnat witch, this witch, that witch, sandwich. By 1600, nobody in England was vibing with the Bible anymore. Everybody was eating meat on the Sabbath. <laughs> the crown was like just trying to use these tricks for religious control. Mark was saying that during April to like mid-May, the cod would dry up. Like, these are just natural cycles. It's not because the Vikings were stealing all the fish. These things just dry up during certain points. And so the crown, probably some old-ass knowledge, they do this as well. We're like, okay, so during Lent, Jesus was saying, you're not allowed to eat meat for 40 days. We're going to try to stock up on the salt piles because we're not as disciplined as the Russians who stowed away a bunch of beets. <laughs> the fucking Englanders just convinced their people that Jesus doesn't want you to eat meat for 40 days. And it worked because Protestantism. The Brits, <laughs> they love it. They are so high-class royalty. They pride themselves on ketchup. I'm about to turn a bunch of people off, but yeah, I am a ketchup hater. Team mustard. I don't even like mustard. <laughs> it's spicy, at least. Ketchup is like 80% vinegar. It's not a taste. It's not spicy. It's not salty. It's not sweet. It's not savory. It's just... <sighs> I just blew a bunch of nose out of my mouth. When you eat like those salt and vinegar chips, that's what it gives you. A pickle 
I'm not into pickles. Why do we put shit into these jars? I want it fresh. I don't want this briny crap. These friggin' Englanders are taking pride in what they called anchovy sauce. You know, it's just cayenne inside of ketchup. Like uh, barbecue sauce in America is just ketchup with even more sugar. <laughs> ketchup variants were pretty wild throughout history. Like, you could take any fruit and ketchup it because uh, technically a tomato is a fruit. All the classifications for produce are bullshit. Like, roots are not the same thing as vegetables. Who the hell cares? We could probably be fermenting grapes into ketchup and be getting drunk off of chicken nuggets. See what I'm saying here? There's a market. Invest in my briny grape ketchup today. Surrounding towns of Liverpool from 1850 on were all having sinkholes. <laughs> it's because, like, for 2,000 years, people were doing witches underground. And England is just going to collapse on itself eventually from all of the corruption. Let's get over to the Americas because this chapter is called Leaving Liverpool. Amerigo Dispucci in 1541, he found salt-making villages in the northeast. Happy November, Thanksgiving, the story goes. We taught the natives how to farm because they were collecting and hunting people. Not exactly. They had been mining salt for 1,500 years. <laughs> the Delaware Indians had salt in their cornmeal, the hoppy do salted, and fermented beans. Hold up. So can I be getting drunk off of beans? I know fermentation isn't always equaling alcohol. You have to add yeast. But I think we could be getting drunk out of a burrito now. I don't think that's what it is. I worked at a sushi restaurant for a while. We had these things, NATO beans. They're huge in Japan. It's just a moldy-ass bean. <laughs> it tastes like a bean that has been placed into a contact case full of vinegar fermented beans nato we got to keep nato out of the u.s because in australia those nato camps are delivering the covid inmates salty fast food nato nato beans not a bad bit there i'm going million bit munez this episode the coca-cola energy can is half empty <laughs> this chapter of the americas the Navajos were desert tribes that had a very salty diet. If you're sweating that much running through the desert, like I'm saying, you got to take salt pills. And we have a great book coming up called Born to Run. It's all about running through the deserts, and um, we'll learn more about Native American tribes. 2,000 years ago, the Yucatan Peninsula had salt preservation holes. So it was like one of those ponds that would dry up, and then they would throw dirt on top of it so it just turned into a man-made salt preserve the chiapas found out that you could burn a certain palm leaf and it would release salt behind and the eskimos knew how to chip salt off of recently frozen trees remember we started the book saying the egyptians figured out how to ferment pigeons cool the Eskimos and the Siberian Russians up in the Red Forest, <laughs> they're licking salt off of trees like a cow. Bringing it back down to America in the Caribbean, it became a massive trade route. You know, the Columbus trade between Americas and South America and the New World. This was fertile sea for pirates. <laughs> and there were these Spanish fleets fighting the Navy. 
and the pirates would come in and third party the whole thing. Mark Kurlansky was talking about Tortuga Island. And there was this month-long battle between the Portuguese got involved and eventually the pirates won. Just like how the Celts mobbed the city of Paris, the pirates heard about this battle going on. Everybody sailed to Tortuga Island. And then after the battle, the pirates seized Tortuga for three months, just started chugging rum, hitting up big-titted prostitutes. A true pirate's life for me. Tortuga Island, salt and independence go hand in hand, baby. Jamestown, people didn't know how to fish. People didn't know where to get salt. So the natives showed them where to get cod. Again, you got to find this one. Fish is overpowered. You could eat it all year long. Jamestown was 1,500. We had 200 years of stockpiling our own salt, and the Americans were ready to declare independence. 1775, there was a 2% sales tax on salt. <laughs> and that was enough for a revolution from these people. <laughs> yeah. 30% of my income is nothing on my minimum wage bullshit. Even early 1700s France, you got King Louis XIV was guillotined over a salt tax. It's like a cosmic theatrical death. Louis XIV, earlier in his life, he made a law where if you killed yourself, they would salt, mummify your body, and then leave it on display. They had a revolution 50 years later. We just read the confessions. <laughs> People were discontent in France. You know it's bad when your government has to shame you out of suicide. North Korea. That's what they do there nowadays. If you kill yourself, they put your entire family on jail for the entire community to see. It's <laughs> The use of shame was salt-based and mummification. France is not a good place. They'll put your head on a pike if you don't pay your salt tax <laughs> two louis later 179 i'm telling you this is a theatrical play in france louis the 16th <laughs> in 1790 he made a assembly to vote on a new salt tax <laughs> so it was retracted when they killed one king but another king came in and then it got reinstated and he tried to make it more legitimate saying no the parliament said we could do it time to storm the bastille France was the last country in Europe to normalize potato eating. I thought that was pretty weird because they claimed to have popularized the French fry. I still order them as freedom fries. Waitresses hate me. Just playing. <laughs> Chapter 6. Preserving Independence. 1787. There was the Whiskey Rebellion in Pennsylvania, and it started over a salt mine in Allegheny, Pennsylvania. There were at least a hundred rebellions in the 1780s. The New World was referred to in Europe as the Lazy Man's Gold Mine. Kurlansky was painting a picture how the War of 1812 was over the Treaty of Paris. And so the USA and Britain were fighting over trade routes, you know, the pirate Tortuga lanes. And a lot of this had to do with how much salt the Americans were recovering. We needed to start pumping that stuff out. We were finding more than we could know what to do with it. This is the War of 1812, which is really shady. Like, we don't get taught a lot about this in American history because we are Team America World Police. But it's the most petty war in history. The Brits were kind of just still mad over the breakup, and they came over to our house to burn our clothes. They burnt down the White House. <laughs> Karlansky said they burnt down all the salt mines. 
and they didn't even care to siege our country or try to occupy it. They just went back to England. You could tell. I'm kind of hurt. Why would you do that? Don't you care about us? We're the Kardashians, baby. You got to pay attention to us. That was an ultimate cold shoulder thrown down by the Brits. <laughs> Class act. After they burnt down New York, they rebuilt it with a roofing style that was able to collect small amounts of salt in case of emergency. The further west we moved, the less the shipping routes on the east became an issue. <laughs> we found our Columbus route, you know, the west coast, Lewis and Clark, made America the spot to be. We got two coasts. We got the moat keeping out the third world countries, USA. Kurlansky is about to drop a very patriotic fact here. Cover your ears, liberals. In 1850, there were 3,140 slaves in the United States. I'm going to repeat that. In 1850, there were 3,140 slaves in the United States. It's good that our media is trying to start a second civil war over reparations for 3,000 slaves. <laughs> of course, the scale is different. You know, there were less people, so now 1% of white men had a slave. Around 500 slaves worked on tobacco farms, 1,000 worked in cotton farms, and the overwhelming majority worked on salt works. Hidden American history here. There was this story that they sent a bunch of slaves into a southern cave system, and it collapsed on them. So they had to, like, get a bunch of townspeople to dig them out. Again, I can't tell that story because history has to be about white people being evil. Virginia, Kentucky, Florida, and Texas were the largest salt producers in the world for a while. America, the spot to be. You could see why the Civil War happened. Virginia, Kentucky, they were like, we're pulling all of the weight for our national federation you're saying we're just 13 colonies here i think we're going to start keeping a little bit more of our export to ourselves like they were savvy down in texas they did the louisiana purchase they were making all kinds of money trading directly to the french through the mississippi river and the union is like eh, we need a bigger piece of that i thought we were all one team washington notoriously said to napoleon there is no war without salt during the Civil War, Britain started shipping salt through Liverpool down to Mexican ports so that it could reach the Confederacy. It's just like how America, we give weapons to ISIS, the Mujahideen, so that they could fight each other. Britain was the empire for the recent history in the world, and they were just instigating fights in America. They were arming the Union. They were sending troops to the Confederacy. Britain was a real shyster for a while. 1865, both sides of the Union knew who was winning the war. There's this battle down in St. Andrews Bay. It's in the panhandle of Florida. And they were about to burn down the city of St. Andrews. The Union let them extract enough salt for the hospital before they burnt down the entire city. The Union had a little bit more class than the Celts, who just raped the women and ate a bunch of bacon afterwards. Union let them live. <laughs> Britain... I think it's funny how they are just the instigator. I dressed up for Halloween this year as the Salinator. This is a good Jeopardy question. After the uh, Civil War in 1870, we found the Comstock Lode. 
It's in Sierra Nevada. It's one of the biggest veins in the world of salt and pure silver. So there was the gold rush of the 1850s, 60s. This is just my own personal theory, but I think that's why we have like all of our nuclear testing sites, S5, some of the most high-tech, top-secret, and there's deep underground military bases in the Sierra Nevada mountain ranges. And it might be because we're protecting one of America's biggest resources there. Rare earth elements, as you see through the book today, this is what controls the history of the world. In America, <laughs> you know, a uh, rare earth element here is treated as sugar. If we found <laughs> the Sierra Nevada sugar vein, there would be a sugar rush and then a sugar crash of society. <laughs> we are as dependent on sugar now as we were on salt throughout human history. And of course, you can live without sugar, but your body cannot function without salt. I'm telling you, if we didn't have sugar in America, there would be a gigantic crash for a week. People wouldn't know how to act, and then their hormones would even back out. We would be the first paleo state, and then a month later, people might actually start thinking straight, and we could advance. I don't know. Sugar, salt, they are not equal. There's a really big history between the Native Americans, and we'll get into that in the running book, and Death Valley, all of this salt culture second to last chapter one of the most interesting here the odium of sodium we are well into the 1800s here and science real experimentation picked up in the 19th century we got a hold of chemistry sodium chloride has been our molecule of the day chlorine is a nobel gas and it'll kill you on its own it's this green odorless thing that'll choke you without you even knowing it and sodium na is the salt that cannot be consumed on its own but they are often found combined in nature as sodium chloride i sound like jimmy neutron in that episode dude it's called salt that's when i said sodium chloride big mcthankies from mcspankies all of these like tesla mad scientists of the 1800s came up with chemical extraction methods and so for 1910, everybody was ready with their mustard gas. <laughs> I said in the intro, wars were over salt, and then they were fought with salt. Mustard gas killed 800,000 men in World War One. How wild is that? That's all it is, is the chloride bottled up. They would, you know, shoot it into no man's land, and sometimes the wind would blow it back onto their own troops. <laughs> late 1800s we started putting salt into sodas Ooh, we invented soft drinks we also started putting cocaine into it however he was saying dr pepper and root beer were some of the first sodas because the first <laughs> thing we started to put into them was like all right let's start with salt dr pepper was actually one of the first sodas and he said root beer so before we did salt water gatorade even as far back as 1830 during the Napoleonic Wars, they were using canned food. That doesn't even sound right. I mean, you had to make every single can by hand. But they knew if you just shove a bunch of salt into a can, 40 milligrams into a can of Coke, it can stay on the shelf through the apocalypse. So the Napoleonic soldiers were trudging through the woods and troughing on their salty cans. The Industrial Revolution produced more salt than every human could consume. 
much like modern day. We produce enough crops for 7 billion people to be able to die of obesity. So people were dying of lack of salt and scurvy before. People used to die of starvation. I still see those commercials about Africa, even though I throw out 10 pizzas a night at the pizzeria. I don't work there anymore. What I'm saying here is like basic Bible, basic Tao, there is scarcity and then there is abundance. After the Industrial Revolution, objectively, we went into a state of abundance. And as humans, like your neuropathy changes when you know you are having your needs met. <laughs> you hear people talk about this that actually have money. I haven't seen the other side yet. It's weird that even though we have the machines to extract all of the resources we could ever need, nations are still suspiciously acting in terms of scarcity rather than abundance. I don't know if this is just coming off as LSD talk, but let's spread the fucking love, Morton Salt. What the hell are these fat cats sitting on up at the top? And I'm not trying to be an anti-capitalist here. I love to fucking mow people's lawns. How come we just can't give the Africans the excess food from supermarkets? Throughout the book today and every book I read, there's a recurring theme of the extraction of resources for no other reason than power, not even monetarily. Go back to the Germans in 1600. They figured out how to use rivers to power their salt mills. Like in America, most of our slaves were used at salt works. In Germany, they discovered how to use cogs to, you know, push the water and then turn the wheel to start churning the salt. Kurlansky said as far back as 1800, the Germans had a chemical method to extract rock salt. And all of these geologists are saying that the mountains are some of the saltiest places on Earth. Canada, the Great North, has to have some of the biggest salt deposits. They don't even need to look because they have so much cod. 1887, one of the biggest plays in the history of salt goes down. In England, all of the salt works were monopolized under a four million pound purchase by Salt Union Limited. Is that what LTD stands for? Cheshire was the first to have uniform salt evaporators, and by 1890, they got it down to a science where every single grain was a uniform size. This made it so they could cook their bread more consistently, too. So they're selling all their buns like hotcakes. With all this success, England is at the top of their empire, late 1800s. They go to Orissa, India. As we started talking about Gandhi, the Orissa vein is a 320 mile long, 10 to 60 mile deep salt vein. How else could you support 1 billion Indians living on a subcontinent? <laughs> you need to have this gash in the earth that's just oozing goodness. You know the sustainable human earth population is 500 million? <laughs> India's got double that on a subcontinent alone. November of 1904, the Orissa salt vein was declared a British resource. Millions of Indians start hunger striking. You know, they're being told to their land's own resources doesn't belong to them. It's like us stealing opium from Iran and then selling it back to them as Oxycontin. Or it's like Bill Gates owning half the farmland and then renting it out to American farmers. Or, I don't know, like Nestle. 
having a mysterious monopoly on every undiscovered water table in North America. How do you work that deal out? Another Jinkwa province law from 906. Modern monopolies are not slowing down. You are not allowed to go pan for silver in the Sierra Nevada salt vein. <laughs> you know, during this time of imperialization, it was shameless. They weren't even trying to hide it. In Britain, they paid like minimal taxes, which is why, you know, the American colonists got so mad over the tea charge. In India, the salt tax was 30 times higher than mainland England. America isn't that different from India pre-revolution. We went violent. They went nonviolent. As we said, 1930 Rebellion of India, they all did a hunger strike and marched for 240 miles to the coast just so that they didn't buy any of the crown salt. Imagine trying to get the billion Indians living in poverty today to get under one cause. And I just said that as a joke, but they did have a lot of no mask, no vaccine strikes. India may now be more sovereign minded than the US. Gandhi warned after achieving independence, it would be folly to assume that an Indian Rockefeller would be any different than an American Rockefeller. Going along to our final chapter, chapter 9, Sodium and Gomorrah. A history book ending in the heart of history. 3,000 years ago, Jerusalem was springing up. It could have only happened with help from the Dead Sea salt. Sodom and Gomorrah was the Eden people were hyping up. It was up in the mountains. It was like a mysterious place. Does it actually exist? You got fresh water, vegetations aplenty in the middle of a desert. Sounds too good to be true. People now think this was in reference to the city of Jericho. It's off the Jordan River. It's like an oasis in the middle of the desert. None of this would have been possible without salt. The Quran writes about the Dead Sea being vital to all of their stories. It's speculated that the Dead Sea is so salty because it is next to Mount Sodom, which again is a giant salt lick, and it's just running off into the water. In almost every holy war, they would try to siege Galilee, to dam up the river and then the Dead Sea would dry up and you could go scrape out all the salt. This is probably what divided the three religions. Like everybody just likes a different kosher ratio of salt. The Islams can't even look at bacon. The <laughs> Jews can eat it if it wasn't on the same counter as a hot dog and then us Christians were slamming down a good gravy after Sunday Mass. As history gets rewritten, we can look to these religions and their holy books. They're telling the same exact stories about people just fighting over salt at the Dead Sea. This is definitely an integral part of human history. Another one of these bombshell facts from Kurlansky in 1913. The quintuple group of England purchased the entire Chinese salt industry for 25 million pounds. As we get towards the end here, we'll loop it back to the beginning. We started with China and them unionizing the language in 1950. In 1913, their quintuple group, a big corporation, paid $25 million to start the Salt Administration. It's like a lobby that works in tandem with the government. They do not have a separate church and state in China, and it's the Salt Lobby telling you how much is a healthy amount to eat. China is the new hot club even now. My theory on Afghanistan is that we just left and gave it to China. China has this thing called the Belt Road Initiative. They're building the world's longest highway 
from the Pacific Ocean all the way to the Atlantic through Europe. It's like the new Silk Road. They're saying they want to control the resources and all that crap. And yeah, that has to go through Afghanistan and the Middle East. So we're letting China take a crack at it. They got all the opium now, too. But we don't need it because we know how to synthesize fentanyl. And they actually made this thing go check out my meme page again. They're making it illegal for any man that is too feminine to be on Chinese television. This is why China just stole John Cena from us. There goes all of our friggin' testosterone. You really got to look into this Belt Road initiative. It is a word-for-word -word description of the King's Highway. I talked about them exporting soy. Everybody's got one of those red or green top bottles of soy sauce in their kitchen. Chinese government is in your cabinets. Everything is made in China. I usually say follow the money. On today's episode, I could just say follow the salt, follow the soy. Beijing has a historic salt museum who was built by the first CCP. And <laughs> Xi Jinping's CCP claims to be against the old CCP, just like Louis XVI and XIV, <laughs> who levied the same tax but said they didn't like the guy before them, the R's and the D's. Final bombshell, there was a recent mandate by our buddies at the World Health Organization. <laughs> they require all salt producers include iodine in all commercial salt. Us, the global consumers, may never taste pure salt again. Their fucking justification is something about keeping your thyroid smaller so that you only ingest a certain amount. Sounds like fluoride to me. Let me decide what's in the water. What, you're putting a fertilizer byproduct in the water just so it doesn't stink up the air? Is it too much to ask for some clean water and salt? I'm a human animal. You need it to live. I trust our two million year old machine to expose of excess salt like it has been before I do some asshat at the WHO putting iodine in my minerals. <laughs> what the f- why are we putting up with this? Hey. Some people want the WHO subscription to an immune system with their monthly boosters. I'm going to do it how it has been successfully in the German hills for two million years. I exposed my Puerto Rican side with the adobo earlier. I guess I got to expose my Nazi side. My mother's maiden name is Schmidke. I would have been Nidke Schmidke. We got to keep our DNA off of the King's Highway, just like the Bavarians for the past 3,000 years. And yes, hop over a couple walls into the new land when it's necessary. Native Americans basically are just German Puerto Ricans. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's my future militia. Disclaimer, I am in no way inciting a riot in the USA. 1890s, USA, Morton Salt became the United States Division of Salt Union Limited. Morton Salt isn't even its own monopoly. It's just a masked version of Salt Union from England. Pretty wild, man. You can't even get in on the salt game unless you could get the rare earth mineral that is iodine. So if you are getting lucky and striking a salt vein in your backyard, yep, there goes your lottery ticket unless you could pull off an iodine heist. I'll help you. Send me a message, listeners. Send me a message if you do mix salt and milk in your refrigerator and Kraft Velveeta comes out. <laughs> After a history of war, famine, corruption, we got to try to end on something palatable. Go to your grocery store and buy Talenti sweet and salty ice cream. 
haven't had in a couple of years. It should definitely hold up. It's got those little squares of caramel salt in it. Salty and sweet, baby. The contrast. It's what we go for on the show every single week. The fact with a funny. The history from Mark Kurlansky. Give it up for salt. And give it up for yourself, the listener, for supporting for one more week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Next week on the show, we are going for... <laughs> This is one of the best of the year. We have James Patterson's Filthy Rich. One of the biggest true crime stories of the century. We are going to be implicating elites. People cared about the Jeffrey Epstein case when there were woke points in it. Hashtag Jeffrey didn't kill himself. Now that it's not cool anymore and your tinfoil hat, if you remember things for more than one year... Kids are just allowed to get raped in vain because it's not trendy to talk about it anymore. I dug through this thing. I'm going to be putting the show together over the next week. Fuck, man. This is a crazy book. Like, it was a dark hole to go down to. I got to take some time off. (laughs) But there are important people in our government who are doing heinous things. Just like the Romans and the Greeks were with little kids. History is cyclical, as is Nick's nonfiction. Thank you guys for tuning back in. Get on that Patreon. You are not going to want to miss next week. Getting into the holiday seasons. Shows get better in quality this time of year. Check out Harry Schwant. Putting in that research for the people. My name, Nick Munez. Peace.